Well, we are returning to the book of Romans today, and uh, we're going to just kind of do a, gr- a brief review. We took some time off for Christmas, and we, we are in this book. It is the first letter in our Bible from the Apostle Paul, the way our Bible, our New Testament is set up. Uh, the, the editors, I guess you might say, um, th- 2,000 years ago decided um, that this was the best order to, to put the different books. And so it begins with the life of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and then the book of Acts, which is kind of a part two to Luke's account, tells about what Jesus did after he uh, rose and then ascended when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. And, and it chronicles the early church, including this guy who was a persecutor of Jesus and of the church, Saul of Tarsus, and he would meet the Lord Jesus. Jesus would appear to him as Saul was traveling on a road to a city called Damascus, and, and, and Saul's life would be changed, like, like Martha's, like what Calvin shared. Saul would be confronted by, by the Lord Jesus, and he would be called to, to go and be the apostle to the Gentiles, and he would travel around, and so the book of Acts, pretty much the second whole half is all about him and his journeys, more than that, and he would travel and plant churches and share the gospel, and it wasn't always easy. There were persecutions. There were uh, people that weren't happy with, with the, the way, as it was called, the way of Jesus, and, and yet he would go and he would enter a city often and look for a gathering of, of Jews who were gathered on the Sabbath to worship. And he would start there and he would share from the scriptures, from what we call the Old Testament, that the promised Messiah they were waiting for had come, in fact, it was Jesus. And again, Paul would likely share that he had met Jesus and, and people would be converted and come to faith. And then he would go and spend time with the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and share as well. And so he did a lot of this stuff. And one of the cities he never got to was Rome, but he had wanted to go to Rome and he, he wrote the, what we call the book of Romans, the, the letter to this Roman church. He, he would get there. He would get there as a prisoner uh, eventually. But he, he wrote this letter. And it is the magnum opus of Paul's writings. It's the biggest book. It's why it's put first in our, in our Bibles. Um, not the first thing he wrote, but, but the biggest, the most beautiful account of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, as we've started this series back in the fall, I want to just remind us of a few things. Take a look at, at the screen. Um, Romans, uh, one of the reasons people love Romans is for, um, I guess you could say, how analytical it is. I mean, it, there's the beauty of the gospel in there uh, in, in amazing verses, but, but Paul is building an argument. He's not being argumentative, but he's building a logical argument. And so he starts off with an introduction where he greets this church that he has never met, longs to go to. Uh, he gets thankful for them because their faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then he gets to the theme of the letter, Romans 1, 16 and 17. And this, again, is so important. We, we've, we've covered this a lot. It's been um, quite a while, though, uh, since we've been in Romans. So here it is again, Romans 1, 16 and 17. This is uh, not only the hinge out of his introduction into the argument, but these are the verses that, that summarize the point of his letter. He says, I'm not ashamed, embarrassed of the gospel. What does gospel mean? 
good news, not good advice, not a good suggestion. It's news. It is good news. That's that word. For it, that is this good news, this gospel, is the power of God for salvation. And pause there. Well, what is the news? It's, it's the news about what God has done. The, the grace that, that Calvin mentioned from Ephesians 2a, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not our works. That, that is the good news and that this saving came from this man, Jesus, who lived a life, the life we can't live, a perfect life. He fulfilled all righteousness. That's a key word we'll talk about often in Romans. And then not only did he perfectly live the life none, no one can live, but then he, he died in our place where, where we, we are guilty before God for our sins. He, he went and died for us freely, gave himself, and, and he had taught that he came to give his life. And so he died, took God's wrath, paid the penalty, the, the, the judgment that we all deserve. He, he absorbed it in his death. But he didn't stay dead. He rose, vindicating all his work and who he was on the third day, what we call Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. And then he appeared and he taught and then he ascended. And so all of that is is the gospel. It's the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus would have said back in Mark, that that, that, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand with with me and my coming and and what I've come to do and, and who I am. So that news is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes in it. And, and again, to believe it is not just to say, oh, okay, I, I, I believe it up here, but, but it's belief that transfers into action. And so we've talked, I'm going to skip ahead for a second, because this, this good news announcement is the shorthand announcement of essential, the essential Christian message. It's the heart of Christianity, And again, J.D. Greer summarizes Romans uh, in this sentence, God, in an act of grace, sent his son, Jesus, to earth as a man so that through his life, his death, his resurrection, he could rescue us, save us. He could reign as king and lead us into the eternal full life we were created to enjoy. That is... What God uses that announcement to save everyone who believes. And belief, again, that, that isn't just a mental ascent, but belief that transforms into action. Biblical belief leads to action. Uh, to put another way, to be a Christian is to be a, a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> Not just to believe, okay, that's fine and great uh, what he did for me. I'm, I'm glad, you know, uh, he did that. I'll take it as a, like a ticket, you know, and I'll keep that on me. And so I'm going to go live my life the way I want. And then, you know, when I'm about to die or something bad comes, well, I'll just pull the ticket out because I've got a ticket. Uh, that, that's not biblical belief. Biblical belief is, you, you're, Jesus, you are who you said you are. You, you are my king now, and I will follow you. I will surrender to you. You're in charge of my life. And I know we all do that perfectly. That's a joke. We don't. We, we fall short. We, we fall back. We, we forget that he's our king. And again, pause, but that's why we need to gather on Sundays to be reminded again who he is. Oh, yes. 
as I start my day tomorrow, as you start your work day, as, as you go to school, as you deal with stuff, oh yeah, you're a follower of Jesus, this one who died for you and, and your life belongs to him. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price, the apostle would say elsewhere. We, we believe and it translates into to following. And when we fall short, when, when we're wandering away, his grace, uh, like Calvin said, in, in describing what that play that they acted out was God's grace. He's there, and you can always come back to him. And that's amazing, amazing grace. He receives us. Everyone who believes. And then Paul says, it's to the Jew first. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Christianity is the fulfillment of of what Judaism was going toward and and Jesus being the promised one. And so, so there's a specialness to being a Jew and there's a specialness to the message coming to the Jew first. But it's not just for those that are Jews, it's for the Gentiles, the Greeks. And then verse 17, again, back to it, which is the gospel, this news. It's in the gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed. God's righteousness, how we are right, how we are justified. This righteousness is not something we can earn, we can pay for. It it has to be received. It's outside of us. And it's in the gospel that it's revealed. And it's from faith to faith for faith. And and then Paul quotes um, this passage that the righteous shall live by faith. And then what the Apostle Paul will start to do, actually, I like that quote again. Um, John Stott, famous commentator, summed it up by saying, in this gospel, right, in this uh, righteousness of God, what what is God doing? God is righteously righteousing the unrighteous. And again, we're going to see this word again and again. It's a word that that also can mean justify, and and we'll, we'll unpack it a ton But that's what God is doing in the gospel. The righteous God is dealing with us who are unrighteous. He is righteously making righteous, righteousing, and he righteouses those who are unrighteous. And so then his argument, number two, uh, in an outline form, he begins to unpack the universal need for the gospel. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. The universal need for God to be about making people righteous who are not righteous. And he begins in chapter 1 at verse 18 by pointing out how Gentiles, which is most of us in the room, I believe, uh, non-Jews, we are unrighteous. We need God to righteous us. We can't righteous ourselves. We can't do enough good for him to say, all right, you're righteous now. Come on. No, we we do horrible things, and we all do, and and, and Paul details a bunch of things. But then at chapter 2, verse 1, he turns to talk to his ethnic kinsmen. He, he, Paul was a Jew, and he says, ah, but listen, because as he's writing to this church that was made up of Jew and Gentile together, uh, there were things they had to figure out. And, and again, Christianity, and this is what makes Christianity so amazing. It's the only world religion that, that isn't um, connected to a region or, or one people. It, it's for everyone. It's the church, Jew and Gentile, which covers everyone. And while it was begun, if you will, there in in, uh, Israel and in Jerusalem, right? In in the book of Acts, it spreads and it spreads to the known world and and it's everywhere. 
Um, it's for Jew and Gentile. And, and so the Jews, they, they need to be reminded that they too are unrighteous and they need to be righteous by God. And, and the last time we were in Romans, we worked our way up through about verse 16. And, and Paul, in, in a style in his day, he uh, begins to this uh, sort of made-up debate with a, an imaginary character. He, he begins to say, you know, in, in a diatribe form of argument, um, th- this whole key point. And eventually he's going to get in verse 9 of chapter 3 that all humans are, are unrighteous as well. And that brings us to Romans 2, verse 17, which we will have to look at next week. Or we will be here a long time today. But what I do want to do, we're, one of the places we, we will get to, or would get to if we were going to pick this all back up uh, this morning, is actually leaving Romans for, for a moment and heading over to Philippians. Because, and again, I, you know, Calvin, you, you said several times in uh, your report you know, God works how he wants, and you, you guys had plans, but God did what he wanted to do. And that, I know for you, and you could share this with others more, that was a struggle at times, because you guys thought you were going to do one thing, and certain plans were made, you know, but, but no, things happen, and, and you've got to be flexible, and that includes uh, often, you know, um, in church services being flexible. And it, so I open to Philippians, because there's a connection, and if you're back next week, I'll, I'll tie it back to Romans 2, verse 17. Um, but, but again, God, God knew all of this for today, um, because one of the things he's going to say in this passage, the, the, the Jews, his argument to them, he's going to talk about the law, he's already done that. They, they thought because they had the book, they were people of the book, that was one of the things they were known for, that they were righteous. Um, they also had been given this sign of their covenant with God. God made a covenant that these were his people, and one of the signs God gave to the Jews was the sign of circumcision. Every, every male was to be circumcised, and that was a sign, unlike all the other peoples, that, that, that they were different. And, and the Jews, they took a lot of pride in that. Oh, we've got the law, we're people of the book, we've been given this sign, circumcision. And there were other things, their diets, dietary practices and whatnot, but the law and circumcision were a big deal to them. And Paul's basically in this passage going to say, just because you have the law and circumcision, if you don't obey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so we're going to get there next week. But in Philippians, I'm going to start reading at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Actually, verse, we'll start at verse 2. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says, look out for the dogs. You know, and I, man, every time Calvin, when we got to chat a little bit during the week, and he would talk about, oh, the dogs here, you know, they look horrible and, you know, they're scary. And I kept coming back to like, well, it's going to have new meaning when you read Philippians because, you know, dogs are cute in our world, right? I mean, some of you have cute dogs and and you love them and they're cuddly and they're your pet and... uh, when Paul says here, look out for the dogs, he's not talking about a nice, you know, labradoodle or something. Um, he's talking about these scroungy, dirty, disease-filled dogs that they would have thought of in their dumps, and, and yet he's applying it to people. Look out for the dogs, not literal. He's talking about people, which is kind of scary. 
Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So he's talking about circumcision. His people. For we, verse 3, are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So in other words, he's saying, look, look, be aware of the Judaizers. And I, and I do want to say this briefly for a moment. One of the things that has bothered people about Romans 2, and again, we'll unpack it next week, but people say, boy, Paul was an anti-Semite. And the church has taken Romans 2 and used it in anti-Semitical ways. And, and that's a wrong thing. Paul's not an anti-Semite. Paul's an anti-Judaizer. He was, he was Jewish. He was not against his own people. Romans 2, this passage is not against Jews for being Jews. It's against the Jewish religion that put confidence in having the law and in being circumcised as the things you do, and then you're right with God. Works righteousness. And Paul says, no, we are the true circumcision. And he, I'm going to keep reading, but he's referring to even verses back in the Old Testament where God says, you need to have your heart circumcised. Yeah, we have this, you Jews, I've made this covenant with you, and you have this physical thing that happens, but... It, even that's a picture of, of, of you needing your heart to be circumcised. And, and God's going to tell his people to, to circumcise your heart. And then he's going to say, but you can't do it. I have to do it. I have to make your heart soft. And how does he do it? It's through the Spirit. And that's what happens at Pentecost. When, when the old covenant is done and the new covenant arrives, when God transforms us, when God gives us a new heart, that's when Hearts are circumcised and made soft. And, and so here in Philippians 3, Paul's saying, we glory in Jesus. We don't put confidence in our flesh and what we do. And then he says, though, I myself, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks they have a reason for confidence in their flesh, I have the, the most. He says, verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what the law required. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Just think about that for a second, if you remember your, your history. Um, Benjamin, along with Joseph, were the, the sons of, uh, of Rachel, uh, the, the beloved of, of Jacob. Not, not of the handmaids, right, but... but they were the special. So those two in particular, special. And so Paul says, I'm of the right tribe. I'm not from those other ones. A Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I'm a Pharisee as to zeal. I'm a per I was a persecutor of the church as to the righteousness that's under the law, blameless. Like I've got the resume of what it looks like to put confidence in what I can do. And then he says, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. A Greek word that can mean filth and rubbish, but excrement, like what you might find at the dump in Mexico, among other things. Nothing you'd want to touch. He says, I, I count my whole resume as rubbish. Scubalon is the Greek word. It's a great word. Scubalon. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness. Look back at the screen if I can get there. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he says that I may know him. He says, I, I had the resume. I boasted in my flesh. I boasted in having all the right check marks, but then I realized, you know what? Compared to knowing God through Christ and this righteousness that's not my own attained righteousness, which really isn't a true righteousness, I've been made righteous by the righteous God. That's what I'm glorying in, I, that I know him and I know the power of his resurrection, and I, and I am even sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection. Philippians 3, friends, is kind of like Paul's little, little testimony about his argument <laughs> in, in Romans 2, which we will look at in, in detail next week. Here's the point, and we'll end with this. Uh, again, most of us aren't Jews, as far as I'm aware, so we, we aren't, you know, banking on our Jewishness and having the law and having this sign of circumcision as our, our righteousness. But, but some of us are banking on, on things. We're banking on the family we've been maybe brought up in. We're, we're maybe banking on, you know, I, I live, live a better life than that person next to me or over there or on my neighbors or, you know, on the whole, I, I'm a pretty good person, um, you know, um, there can be a ton of things um, we, we, we put confidence in. And Romans 2, Philippians 3, remind us again, God's, God's not looking for what you can do. He's not looking for what I can do. He's, he's looking to see, are, are we putting confidence in Jesus and what he's done? Trusting in his righteousness to be our righteousness. And, and again, Believing in that will begin to transform our lives. We'll, we'll get to the place where, like with the Apostle John, we, we would understand these verses. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Verses 3 to 6. John the Apostle writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says, he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which 
he walked. That's not a verse that says you need to look perfectly like Jesus every minute of your life. It means you have believed in, you have trusted in, and now you've been transformed, and, and that is your path. And when you sin, you repent. When, when you fall short, you, you confess, and you say, God, I need help, but you, you believe, you, you obey. That's what a Christian does. A Christian seeks to live like Jesus lived because they have been made righteous. It's a response. And at the end of the day, it begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. We can do a lot of things outwardly, but God's looking at our hearts. God's saying, my work of cleansing you and forgiving you was, was done on the inside, and, and let that now transform how you live. A, a famous song, and we're going to sing it in a moment, has the refrain, you search much deeper within to the way things appear. You're, you're looking into my heart. So would you stand and let me close this in prayer? And, and we're going to sing that song as our 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 response, our repentance, because we can get caught up in how we live, just like the Jews that Paul was arguing against were. And, and well, I went to church, I gave some money, I went on a missions trip maybe, you know, and, and God's looking at the heart. And, and yes, obedience matters if it's flowing from a heart that's been made righteous. So would you pray, Father in heaven, Thank you for today. Thank you for Calvin's report. Uh, again, the things you did in his life, through his life, through the team, what, what he saw. But thank you for just how you've orchestrated, even for this morning. I, I thank you that we could consider Paul's words in Philippians 3, his testimony that he at one point trusted in how he lived and what he had done in the flesh and his resume of externals, but then he realized when, when he met you that you are about changing our hearts so that how we live, how we behave, it, it flows from who we are in Christ. So we, we repent of trying to make you happy by external things. You search deep within. You're, you're looking into our heart. And so help us today live a life worship, of glorifying you, pursuing the chief end to, to glorify you and enjoy you. And as we do that, may our, our actions flow. Help us make much of Jesus again and again and again in what we do, what we say, what we sing. We pray in Jesus' name.